0: Great, okay. Now, this psalm is the oldest song in the book, um, as some people say. You might have noticed, if you're reading it from uh, the Bible itself, or it might have come up on the screen, I you didn't notice, the service title says that it's a psalm of Moses. Now, that makes us prick up our ears, because most of the psalms are written by David. Most of the psalms start off, psalm of David, dot, dot, dot. Some of them are written by Asaph some by the sons of Korah, some are unattributed, but this one is down to Moses, so quite significant. And it's worth dwelling on because there's a lot of richness in this one psalm of Moses for us. Moses' psalm is a meditation on grand themes, themes that are universal for us as human beings. Life, uh, eternity, death, God and mankind. Part one, which we're going to look at today, we're just going to look at the first two verses, the first stanza of, of this psalm. Part one is about God's eternal nature, God's eternal nature. Now, it could be fairly straightforward for us to think, oh, God is eternal. That's one of the basic attributes of God. It's, uh, in theologian language, it's called one of the incommunicable attributes of God. Isn't He doesn't share it with us. Uh, we don't. become eternal, uh, like God. So you can see from verses 1 and 2, uh, this expression of God's eternal nature. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. Moses is drawing our attention to how much greater God's eternity is, though, than we might imagine if we just think of our basic, instinctual concept of God. And you can see in those verses how he moves us through uh, different stages of thinking about the length of eternity. So he starts us off by looking at human generations in verse 1. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Now a generation uh, might last about 30 years. We might get about 30 years in the limelight. Uh, we grow up in the shadow of the preceding generation and then we fade in the uh, rise of the succeeding generation. And we might see about three generations during our lifetime. If we're as old as the Duke of Edinburgh when we die, uh, we might get to see four generations uh, We're very long-lived. But nobody's going to see more than that in their lifetime. So we have a sense of the length of generations. And through all of those generations, as verse 1 says, God reigns. Now, I I love history. I am fascinated by history. I really enjoy reading it and studying it. I find that one of the things history enables us to do is to liberate us from the confines of a single generation, or perhaps just three or four generations, from the confines of what we see in our own lives. I enjoyed studying, uh, in recent years, the life of actually my great-great-great-great-great-great-uncle, who was a minister back in the 18th century. Really interesting to get a sense of what was going on in that generation. And through all of those generations, all of those great, 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 greats, in whether it's my family or yours, God was reigning. He has been our dwelling place through all generations. But Moses moves us on beyond just human generations to think even bigger about God, into thinking about the landscape and what we might call geomorphic history. Before the mountains were born, he says, God was reigning. Mountains are very impressive things. We look up at them and we go, wow, that is huge. Who could ever build that? How long would it take? There's very few of them, sadly, in South Cambridgeshire. Maybe a uh, maggot mount behind the village where the whale memorial stands uh, just about counts as a, a Cambridgeshire-style mountain. Uh, but it's not much to look at, is it? Uh, Like Bilbo in Tolkien's legend, I long for real mountains and long to escape from the docility of the English landscape. So I I always love going to Switzerland, I try and go there most years, just to remind myself partly of the grandeur of mountains and so to wonder at what God has created. I get there and I'm reminded freshly, and it always hits me, amazing how great these uh, forms, landscape forms are and therefore how great God is who created them. And indeed, the fact that before those mountains were born, as verse 2 says of Psalm 90, God was reigning. But Moses moved again, beyond just generational history or geomorphic history, into geological history. Before you brought forth the whole world, he says, God reigns. Now, as I say, we might not have mountains here in South Cambridgeshire, but if you uh, pop over to Suffolk, there is a wonderful sculpture in uh, High Lodge Park, in Suffolk, uh, which is about 13 meters high, the sculpture. And it's called um, Core Sample Matrix Revealed by an environmental artist called Juliet Dolphin Wilder. And it's a sculpture essentially of what the ground beneath us looks like if it had been taken out and put in a, stood in a big column on top of the ground. So you can look through 13 metres worth of the ground under our feet in this sculpture. It's a fascinating thing. And the rocks 13 metres down would be very old. They'd have been laid down there probably millions of years ago. But of course, by geological standards, that's still quite young. I mean, the scientists believe that the Earth is about 4 billion years old. And there are places in, for example, Canada, you can go and find a rock uh, that was created almost 4, 4 billion years ago. Psalm 90, Moses in Psalm 90 says, Before you brought forth the whole world, God was there. Before that four billion year time frame, he was there. So any scale we choose, whether it's generational, geomorphological, geological, or even cosmological, any of those scales will fail to match up to the greatness of God and the length of time that he inhabits. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God, Moses concludes that travel through different stages of history. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Everlasting, as the word very straightforwardly implies, means last forever. And certainly, if we think into the future, uh, that is true of God. But God is not just everlasting, He's eternal, which means He's not just starting from a fixed point and going on forever. He's also going forever backwards as well. And that's the idea encapsulated by pairing the word everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting. So all the way forwards and all the way backwards, you are God. And in some ways, that length of time is a bit unseeable. The idea of all the way forwards to not a fixed point, but to forever. There is no fixed point forwards, no fixed point backwards. And that is uh, true of the Hebrew original. Obviously these psalms are already written in Hebrew to start with, and the Hebrew phrase in that end of Psalm 2 is, um um ad um, which almost means from obscurity to obscurity. Something we can't see to something we can't see. That's how long God is around for. Now, when we're out on the sea, which, uh, given we live in Cambridge, might not be very often, given it's a bit of a way away, but when we're out on the sea, normally our eyes are drawn upwards to the huge horizons that we have there, from horizon to horizon, amazing weather flying over us all the time. But we sometimes cast our minds to actually that, that, that which is beneath us as well, especially if we fall in, and realise that there's quite a lot going on under the sea as well as over it. Just as the sky above is unseeable to its height, so also the sea beneath us is unseeable to its depth, and in the same way is God unseeable from unseeable to unseeable. So what do we do with this uh, reminder from Moses of the eternity of God? Well firstly we wonder, just as I do at my mountains when I go back to Switzerland, wonder at the grandeur of it, the size of it, the immensity of it. But then we might also have a moment of fear, just as you're out on the sea, you wonder at the size of the sky, the size of the ocean beneath you, especially if you're somewhere out in the open ocean with kilometres of water beneath you. And you're afraid. You're all at sea, cast adrift. We might feel that with the immensity of God, thinking about his eternity, and just the size of us, and just be a little bit terrified by the concept. But then we cast our mind back to the beginning of this psalm again. Lord, you have been our dwelling place through all generations. Moses isn't just reflecting on the fact that God is eternal, but also our relationship with that eternal that he is our dwelling place, our home. And so we're comforted. We don't just drift on that open ocean, wondering where we're going to be taken by the tides, by the storms. But we're actually being held up by that ocean. We belong there just as much as the fish and as much as the whales. And so we can look up at the sky above us, look down at the ocean beneath us, and not be terrified, but be comforted that that is our home. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. We're further comforted, actually, when we think about the place of this psalm within the whole book of Psalms. Sometimes we think about psalms as just one psalm after another uh, in a whole order of 150. But they're actually arranged very carefully uh, in that 150. And Psalm 90 comes off at the beginning of what's called Book 4 of the book of Psalms which runs from Psalm 90 to Psalm 106. The preceding book, Book 3, had dwelt very heavily on the exile of the Jews from their homelands. And there was a very bleak psalm, Psalm 88, called the bleakest psalm in the entire Psalter uh, quite recently. And then equally, Psalm 89 is very, very dark. I'll read you a few verses of Psalm 89 to get a sense of just how dreadful the situation was. You have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servants, and have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruins. All who pass by have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbours. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. Indeed, you have turned back the edge of his sword and have not supported him in battle. And so it goes on. The nation of Israel was in a very dark place in the end of uh, Psalm 89. But then this wonderful promise comes in in Psalm 90. Even though all of those awful things had happened to their cities, to their country, nonetheless, God was their dwelling place. They might be in exile in Babylon, but they could remember that the God has been their dwelling place through all generations and continues to look after them. That promise of God being the dwelling place for those who believe in him was true equally for uh, those under Moses when he first wrote that psalm who were out uh, in the wilderness wandering for a new homeland. We had a brief reading before the psalm from Numbers 14 uh, about the generation before this generation who were denied access to the promised land because they grumbled and rebelled. Nonetheless, God remains their dwelling place, even when they were told they would not enter the promised land. Likewise, for the people in Daniel's time who were in exile, God was their dwelling place. For the people in Jesus' time, God remains their dwelling place. And for us as well. For every generation, not just those preceding generations, God is our dwelling place. It's a double comfort for us as Christians, and of course we read all the Psalms as Christians, not just as, uh, in the same way as Jews uh, did before Jesus. A double comfort that we have the promise of that home made flesh, made real, by Jesus' incarnation. That he came and showed us in flesh what it means to have God as our home. We can wonder at the condescension of God Uh, when we read in passages like Philippians 2, which we sometimes use for our creed here at All Saints, that's God coming into flesh. But we also wonder at the same time at God coming into time. Jesus had the very nature of God as one who is outside of time in eternity, and yet he descended, he condescended to come into time and show us what it means to have God as our home. Just like those preceding generations, we can all individually sometimes feel adrift on the ocean of life, and I think that's probably particularly true at the end of a pandemic and lockdowns and all sorts of certainties being shaken in our world, perhaps even the Duke of Edinburgh dying. We might feel lacking in terms of any sort of home, any sort of sense of identity and stability, but the promise that God offers here is one that will never go away. His promise of a home is from generation to generation, through all generations. If we put our home in him, through the gospel of his son Jesus, then we will never be cast out, we will never be made homeless. And it's that wonderful promise that we have as Christians that was dwelt on by Isaac Watts in his very famous uh, poem, which was made into a hymn, which uh, paraphrased this Psalm 90. O God, our help in ages past, our help for years to come, From everlasting, you are God, to endless years the same. O God, our help in ages past, our help for years to come, be Thou our help while ages last, and our eternal home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have been a home to those who trust in you through every generation. And you continue to offer a home through the Lord Jesus to all of us. May we put our trust in you and so not to be adrift on that ocean of life, but be a home. And we pray for you bring us safely to the eternal home that you offer. In Jesus' name, Amen.